You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. It is July 2nd, 2020, which means that we are officially in the same month that the NBA and WNBA are planning to return. I believe the WNBA has got a couple weeks ago, the NBA at the end of the month. But, of course, COVID-19 and the pandemic continues to be a huge problem in Florida and in the country. So I kind of wanted to talk about today – some of our feelings are conflicting feelings about do we really want sports to come back? You know, conflicting the idea of that we enjoy these sports and that they can be a source of good and happiness in our lives with the grim reality of the world and more important things going on. So, got Ben Epson here with me. Hi, Ben. Hello, Mike. And special guest, uh, the engagement editor for SB Nation and someone, one of my favorite former colleagues. It's still weird to say former colleagues. Uh, Whitney Medworth. <laughs> Whitney, how are you? I'm good. I thought you were going to uh, introduce me as a conflicting feelings expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. I, I, I agree. You are a conflicting feelings <laughs> expert. Um, but no, I, I think in reality, I mean, I think anyone who follows Whitney and under has, has read her work and has seen her work knows that she is not he- does not hesitate to express when sports bring her joy, but also is able to keep perspective and realize that this is bigger. So I just couldn't think of anyone better to kind of figure out, like, am I right for wanting sports to come back despite all this shit going on? Or should should I be heeding sort of that little voice in my head saying, you know, this is really going to be dangerous and there are huge problems? I guess the best way to start this this sort of conversation off with is, you know, where exactly is your head at right now on July 2nd with the prospect of basketball, both the WNBA and the NBA coming back? Yeah, um, you know, it feels like, we, you know, we obviously want sports to come back. There's a lot of reasons that sports need to come back for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, the more, like – the more we hear of negative or, or tests coming back that are positive, um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie saying that, you know, he's actually going through quite a bit of symptoms. You hear that Rudy Gobert um, is still suffering. You know, he's like our, our first NBA star that had it. He's still suffering from some symptoms. It's just like kind of looms over you that like maybe this isn't uh, the best thing we should do. And, you know, every time you try to get excited online, it's looming in the back of your head every time you try to post something, you know, uh, and find some content for for work. It feels the same way. It's like, is this really something that we should be pushing for uh, when we get to sit at home and and stay as safe as possible and watch other people be at risk? So it's a it is a constant, just like uh, dark cloud. I feel like hanging over my head, and I don't know when. I don't know if there is a right answer, and I don't know when I'll ever feel happy about it i guess we'll just have to see how this keeps going as we get closer yeah i I find myself i I try to relate to as much as i possibly can any of the professional athletes which is a that's a pretty loaded sentence because how much can i really relate or any of us to professional athletes without having you know been in their shoes and i think about how how altered uh my daily life has been in, in what I do, which is, again, far from being a professional athlete, far from being out of my comfort zone, being removed from my family, being removed from my peak physical condition that's necessary to do my job. Um, and I'm finding that 
the thing that I, I keep having the most trouble um, reconciling is that the NBA athletes are, are uh, really multidimensional. I say NBA, I mean WNBA, NBA, MLB, NFL, you name it, all these professional athletes, um, is that there's, there's more than one thing here. It isn't just that some are nervous, rightfully so, about catching – uh, a, a, a disease that they do not know the long-term ramifications of, let alone the extreme short-term ramifications, like in Gobert's case uh, or in Dinwiddie's case, who are struggling with symptoms, right? Taste, cardiovascular things. Um, it's that these are people being removed from their families. These are people being removed from the children that are being born in the months that they'll be there, from their wives, from their parents, um, y you name it. I mean, Carl uh, Anthony Towns lost his mother. Um, and so there's there feels like there's so many things uh, that are topical to playing or, or topical to the the uh, movement towards playing that that are not being necessarily taken into consideration. And the blanket statement of is it safe or not is what's being used. And I think that's a talking point. The NBA is is pushing, uh, quite frankly, I think that there is an emphasis to make this about the uh, efficacy of the bubble and the ability to to actually pull it off from a uh, from a creation standpoint of this world where everyone can you know exist in a in a safe quote unquote safe environment without taking any of the emotional toll in and I think in hearing Victor Oladipo put his case in front of the media yesterday uh, it changed my my perspective um, straight up because Oladipo is a man for, coming for list for people who didn't yeah, hear him. What sure. exactly was uh, he talking about? I'll paraphrase it, but essentially Oladipo, as, as you know, everyone knows who listens to this show, and, and Whitney's sitting in Indianapolis, uh, came from, <laughs> came back from a, a, a severe injury. I think he tore his quad, uh, came back, had just started to kick the rust off, then just took off for what will end up being uh, close to five months, four and a half months, and essentially said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in a, a physical condition where I can feel the headspace that I'll, I won't re-hurt myself or re-injure myself or that I won't be more susceptible to that. Um, and I think simple, um, you know, biomechanics tells you that guys are going to be more susceptible to injuries. Um, but specifically, people coming off of injuries like Oladipo have a lot more to think about. He's also disproportionately valuable to his team. This isn't, you know, no offense to Avery Bradley, but Victor Oladipo is not Avery Bradley. He's he's the best player on his team. He's Although someone who is quite a, well without him. I know, I know, but he's a figurehead of the organization. Yes, he's uh, a leader. I understand. On, yes, and, and he's and he's an outspoken and well-spoken individual who can articulate his own issues. He, he's not having his agent make a statement about his health. He's making the statement, and that's important here too. Is that the NBA is not the NFL? Players make their own statements. Players speak for themselves. Players have the ability, both from a public standpoint as well as their own brands, like their their own fully developed personalities that are highlighted by the NBA, are sold by the NBA. And so the NBA is getting the ricochet of that now, too, which is that these players can speak for themselves. Uh, the NFL doesn't have that. They have a few guys who speak for themselves. But for the most part, you have morons like Tom Brady putting out <laughs> vapid, empty statements that don't speak for anyone as they practice in states that have 10,000 cases a day. So, like, that's the NFL. And at the end of the day, every NFL player gets to put a helmet on and no one gets to see their face. And the NBA, people are who they are. And so that matters, man. And the NFL, this is in a way like the NBA's goal of being this altruistic, like kind of sports yes. brand that sort of works against it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm like saying. This. <laughs> um, but yeah. one of the things I've been like thinking a lot about is just, I mean, obviously like sports is taken on an outsized importance in the role of everyday life. You know, you look at how much these guys are paid, how much money is made from this uh, and the social impact. I and mean, we've already, the, we've already gotten there. Sometimes I wonder, and I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because to hear from Whitney on this, because you, we connect so much to these athletes despite not knowing them, you know, are these leagues taking the burden that should be devoted to other sources? You know, are we, are we putting too much moral, you know, stake into basketball opening as like a sign that, oh, now the country is normal again when it's not. When in, at the end of the day, it is kind of just a private business trying to figure out how to make recoup the money it lost. Yeah, I think that is like, it's pretty crazy. Like really 
the NBA just needs their money like everybody else does. Um, it has been pretty crazy to me to realize like how much we and a lot of people like build their year and their life around certain sports events. You know, you might plan vacations around, you know, certain sports. You may, you may plan vacations to go to certain games or maybe you're a huge NBA fan and like planning a vacation in late June early June like isn't ideal because you don't watch NBA finals like it's been crazy for me to kind of sit back and realize like we kind of base our whole cadence of a year based around NFL Sundays and basketball games and the final four and not having those is like it's it's just been very strange but um yeah I don't I I guess sports is like the easiest thing for us to grab onto as as a sign of things are better but i don't i certainly don't know that it's the the best way to do it for sure and that that's the crux of the problem right yeah it feels like on one hand the nba and and sports in general in a relationship to both the general economy as well as um what it can do to help the government's messaging a lot of it's to your exact point um whitney it's like hey it's open everything's fine look sports are being played go back to normal, go to, go back to work, et cetera. Meanwhile, you know, these extremely independent leagues that have, you know, in the NBA's case, uh, whatever, three, 400 employees that they need to figure out how to get to work uh, and, and how to make a safe working environment. Like, I mean, that's more than not, that, uh, if, you, if you count the coaches and the support staff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for 300, sure. 400 so, players, I would say. 300, 400 players, and, and I'm saying, like, at Vox alone – uh, where, where, you know, Winnie and I are still employees, we, you know, the building in New York City that I was working in, which who knows if we'll ever be back there, we had over a thousand employees on two floors, right, in one building, in one dot in the middle of lower Manhattan. So, like, this idea that somehow the sports going back are microcosmic and, and, uh, and almost like a, a relatable way of saying, see, things are good again, um, is, is an unfortunate oversized emphasis um, for what are ultimately not very indicative of, of reality. And at the same time, to, to, to Whitney's other point, like recouping money, the NBA, the, the future, I, I'm not going to get into like Vox's finances. I don't know them well enough, but I know that every single company is trying to figure out how many years they've been knocked back on a revenue goal. And when you're talking about the NBA, that directly affects the actual composition of the teams, as we both know, or all, all three of us know. These salary caps are going to be directly uh, derivative next year, the year after, the year after that, likely in a five-year window potentially. I would of, say longer potentially. I'm I mean, saying, yeah, sure, sure. It's totally, tough to totally. say. I mean, but I'm saying that is all predicated upon this bubble working at the end of July in a couple weeks. That feels like a lot of pressure. That feels like a lot of also uh, mental gymnastics to make things work as well. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'm at. It's it's that like I've yet to see a real good proof point that this is both a good idea and a functionally uh, working idea, one that can that can maintain. Good idea for what though is is sort of the question I kind of keep asking myself with all this is like yeah, I mean that's sort of why this is such a weird existential crisis that I have as I look at a lot of people online and I see you know this is a a test happens and this is proof that this is such a bad idea to come back. And this makes me feel bad to, to see that, to think of the NBA returning as normal, the WNBA returning as normal to think like, Oh, we can just sort of, I mean, for me, a lot of it is, you know, I just published something for the first time on a thing that happened in 2020, you know, and it felt very strange to write about, you know, the effectiveness of a basketball team's fast break, for 2020, like given everything going on, it's a lot easier to do retro stuff because, you know, there's no way to change all that. But I look at what these people are saying, like, oh, this 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 is proof we shouldn't play the season. And one of the, the questions I really struggle to answer is, you know, what – why – what is like kind of – when it said this is a bad outcome or this is not going to be a good outcome, what exactly are we as a fan talking about, you know? Because bad things happen to players all the time that makes us uncomfortable. Injuries, unforeseen sort of things. Tragedy happens all over the place. Um, you know, 
I'm not trying to, I mean, obviously this is a different type of tragedy, but, you know, this stuff does happen within the regular ecosystem of sports, but something about this feels different for a lot of people. And so what I'm wondering, what I, what I really struggle with is like, what exactly are we saying? What is, if it goes badly and too many players test positive and it harms a lot of people to try to do this, where why why are we connect what is it that connects us to as normal people to that harm that makes us feel in such an intense way about the possibility of it happening and that that's the question i'm not trying to judge in either way i i feel this too and i'm just wondering like what is it that i'm connecting to 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 feel that sort of pain i think for me it's that i i guess use i don't know what better word to say there but when I'm a fan of the NBA, like, they are, for the most part, aside from, like, you know, your team losing or whatever, but for the most part, the product of the NBA and the WNBA is doing nothing but it's giving me joy. It's giving me something to look forward to. It's giving me something to talk about. It's giving me something to spend money on. And, and for the most part, it is a product that I like and enjoy, and it. For, for the most part, it is there to make me happy. Um, so then if that product is in this now situation where it's like we don't know if these players are safe, we don't know the long-term effects, we don't know what coronavirus is going to do in two months. I mean, we've seen how it continues to change, and now it's it's worse than ever in terms of numbers. Like we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. And so for me to just – sit here and say like I want this product that brings me joy to go on in I guess new I mean we're we're used to the bad circumstances which are injuries or whatever else may happen but now we're forcing it to happen in a bubble that we know is is just this is all pretty unsafe and we don't know what's happening I just feel bad that I'm going to take joy from from that situation especially when it potentially like shuts down or in 20 years, we see the long-term effects or whatever it may be. That's, that's where I feel bad about it. And I, it's hard for me to, to get super excited or it's hard for me to argue that it should go on because, you know, I'm, I'm only taking from it. See, Whitney, I think that's fascinating because the way you started that, that uh, thought I think is a way a lot of people who would justify saying, well, it's okay to bring sports back would think, you know, for all the bad stuff, this brings a lot of people joy. Therefore it should come back. But I thought it was really interesting. And I, I feel this conflict too, that when you continued on with the thought, the thought you had was, I don't want my selfishness to harm the product that I love rather than, because it brings people joy, it should come back. I thought that was really interesting that we sort of started on a logic train that I think a lot of people would use to justify sports coming back and very eloquently and very interestingly, like kind of framed it in a totally different way. Yeah. I just, I, I legitimately feel bad. Like what, you know, putting people in these situations for me to sit home and enjoy it feels feels bad to me you know and I don't I don't know I don't know how to fix that and I don't I don't feel comfortable you know when when or if an outcome comes bad from this it's like well congrats you got to sit home and and tweet and have fun about it and now and now look what look what we got from it and it's deeper for us too you know in a way because I I need sports to come back like we all do for it's it's our jobs um and so, you know, obviously I could argue, like, I need this to come back because I survived off this. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm sitting in my house behind a computer. I'm not, I'm not in it. I'm not either suffering the injuries that are going to be caused from this crazy situation of a stoppage and a return. I'm not the person in contact with, with other people that might be having the virus. So, like, and I'm not separated from my family or my friends. I'm living my life as normal as you can in 2020. I'm living as good of a life as I can in 2020. So like, it's just hard for me to know that I can sit at home and reap reap the benefits of a potentially very bad situation. I think that's, that's well, well put Whitney. And I also like, I I would echo that um, 
how many scenarios that a, where a bubble is used. <laughs> like, I can't think of anything historically with some context where a bubble being used wasn't done for, like, the most, I don't know, like, I'm thinking of, like, the biodomes. I'm thinking of, like, Bubble Boy. I'm thinking of all the different situations in which I have, like, <laughs> Bubble Boy, Bubble Boy from, from Seinfeld. Like, the whole point of all of these things is it was, like, last measures to uh, to have, like, either life preserved or, um, oh you know, or um, some <laughs> level of... Um, serious. Um, some level of tangible separation of people who could be exposed to something. Who do you think, think would be the best player? Thing? Sorry, this is an important question. Who do you think would be the best player if basketball, if all the players had to be locked in their own personal bubble? Who would be the best player? It uh, like, playing basketball. If they played basketball in a bubble. Uh, it's a very hmm. important question. Ish Smith. Why? Uh, he'd be so quick in a bubble, man. He would just be – everyone would be rolling around aimlessly, and Ish would be very direct. Okay. Um, I, I, I have no idea where that, where, how to answer that question. I, okay, I think yeah, it was that, a weird uh, question. The, Let's move on. On the same line of thought, and this is something I've been thinking about daily as we've watched, because even since the last time we did this podcast, Florida has become a significantly worse place to be uh, for the pandemic. The N- uh, NHL – did this smarter. Somehow the NHL, the world's dumbest professional sports league, figured out a smart way to at least select where they're going to have their, their games played. They waited. They had five or six cities in mind, and they've slowly whittled that down to, surprise, surprise, the two Canadian cities, because Canada's done a much better job of, of uh, flattening the curve than the United States. So now they're going to be, instead of, you know, where Vegas and Tampa Bay and I think there were four American hubs and two Canadian hubs that were under consideration, and they picked the two Canadian ones, and there won't be any NHL games played in America moving forward the rest of this season. The NBA did the opposite. They picked Disney. They picked a spot in a state and thought this was the end-all, be-all, like I think you know Vegas had been spoken of in the very beginning, and now the NBA is married to, to making this work in the single worst state in America, therefore the single worst place in the world right now for the coronavirus. Um, and that is that is a crazy thing to say out loud, that there is no plan B, that it was always Disney and could only be Disney for a number of actual uh, logistical reasons. It makes a lot of sense. Then with the layer of being in a pandemic in Florida, in Orlando, of all places, it doesn't. So the NBA is now trapped. It either makes this work at Disney or there is no season. And I think that is a grave mistake. I think that is a, a massive mistake. So in your mind, then, the the tipping point for how you feel very much depends on the state that this is happening in. Safety, which, em- which emanates safety, yes. Right. So if, if the NBA, like, magically was able to go to a state or an area where there's very little coronavirus stuff, we, we obviously know that, I mean, Whitney knows better than anyone else as a Disney, Disney World expert. Like, they're... It, this is not practical, but theoretically you're saying that if you move the NBA to like, I don't know, bumfuckville, Maine, where there's not much going on, you would feel like, okay, then sports are justified. Then the NBA and the WNBA are justified to come back. What I think is – is that fair? I think it would it would help assuage some of my concerns on that topic. Yes. Okay. I, I, think, I think that Florida being uh, a hotbed right now – that Orlando specifically, and that we know Disney, as we talked about before the podcast, is both home to other sports where people are testing positive within their bubbles right now, like the MLS, and is home to Disney that's opening in less than two weeks, and that Disney has said it will not be testing employees at their at their facilities. I think we know a lot now that we didn't know one month ago, right. okay. and I think it's foolish to not react to that. Okay, so a month ago, when cases were not as prevalent in Florida and this plan hatched, you felt more optimistic, and now you feel more pessimistic. I felt more more optimistic about the COVID-related concerns, always okay. pessimistic slash, um, you know, open-minded to the players' emotion, emotional states and anxieties about the, about, about the uh, importance of what they do professionally in the face of, uh, of uh, social and, and racial injustice. Um, and I think 
that we, and we'll talk more about Maya Moore's decision shortly because we'd be remiss not to uh, as a oh, leader in the space of, 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 of what's important in the hierarchy of, of needs uh, as humans. Um, and I think that, that ultimately right now the NBA should be trying to cross off as many variables and instead they've essentially added as many as possible onto the list. And that excludes all the things we are going to talk about eventually here with Maya Moore and, and that side of the aisle. Okay. So that's interesting because, I mean, and what I'm hearing more from, from Whitney and what I think about a lot myself is more that what we're really – deep down what we're kind of saying is that we don't deserve this as a society. I don't deserve to put these other people at risk for my enjoyment with COVID not – contained and with everything else going on in the world there is a and i think it's very interesting that a lot of the people that are expressing i think and again i'm reading a little between the lines there but i think that's how i think that's a fair way of putting it a lot of the people who are most apprehensive about sports coming back are actually the people who stand to benefit most from it in terms of job opportunities media folks uh people like me people like us um but what we're thinking what a lot of us are worried about is that we don't deserve to have that and i i think that's interesting because i'm not sure that like a normal person would even think on that empathetic of a level but that's the person in the arena that's the person in the arena conversation right is that ultimately who who gets to decide that yeah but so that's what i find interesting i mean when is that is that theme accurate like to say like what people are really saying when they say this shouldn't come back and when we're trying to tie in these logical arguments deep down what we're really saying is that we don't deserve to put these people in danger for our enjoyment yeah i I think i think it's probably a a good portion of it i mean like i think we've all come around to the fact that uh the nba especially i mean this is this is entertainment um and we take it seriously you know we break it down we talk about it, but it's it's entertainment for us, and so um, yeah, when, when it comes back, it will continue to be entertainment for us, and so I think that feels weird for a lot of people that like um, that that's how we'll take in this content, and we'll you know, Black Lives Matter is going to be on the court, and they're going to be able to do something with their jersey names. And those things are going to go on, but like, you know, one thing that I've been thinking a lot through all of this is like, it's really uncomfortable when you just don't, when you have to really, really face everything that's going on, especially as, as a white person myself. Like, you know, when it was like a perfect storm of these moments where it's like, we really, really had to, to face what was going on. And so, um, it's it is a little like concerning for me that even though Black Lives Matter is on the court and even though the the um, jersey names hopefully will will be able to have some impact like we're still going to be celebrating LeBron dunking um, and then outside of it there's going to be people very sick with coronavirus and so it's just it's a lot and there's like a there is a lot going on and to yeah to like to, I feel like I'm, I'm using them for an, an enjoyment, and you know, I know those. I know those guys want. There are guys that want to play. I know there's guys that that need the money, you know, for their families. It, LeBron wants to play because he wants to win. Like, and so I respect that too. But just me personally, sitting at home on my couch, you know, getting excited because LeBron is playing really good basketball. Just I'm. I'm pretty torn up about that part of it that's again another i'm gonna say fascinating again but i just think it's so interesting that i mean we we derive joy and this is entertainment but for all three of us this is also our our means of income in a way so of anybody it should be more than just entertainment for us and yet i would say that it's totally makes sense that most of us are the most conflicted rather than people who literally for, for, for people who do not work in sports, this is literally just entertainment and they do not. I don't know if there's as much of a deep thought on this as for people who literally benefit, who literally, who literally have to live their lives and have the income necessary based on sports happening. And it's just, 
I think that's really interesting. Maybe some of it is like sort of a guilt. I mean, sometimes I feel guilty just like sort of thinking like, well, my I'm like almost using these people, these players that are now putting themselves more at risk for my own sort of personal gain. It feels kind of weird like I'm exploiting them. Um, maybe there's some of that going on um, that describes this, but it also is interesting the um, you know the the idea um, of just all the bad stuff happening and we can't escape it. Um, you know, this is there's always been bad things happening in the world that where sports have gone on, but somehow this does feel a little bit different than bad stuff that happened. I mean, when 9/11 happened, sports became like a patriotic way of uniting the country. Maybe it was just easier because there was a common enemy and like, what are we uniting against like a virus? You know, that doesn't really work, but it, I mean, maybe it's just that we're overexposed to all of it, but it, it, I just think it's really very interesting that the people who feel this conflicted about sort of deriving joy from other people's potential danger are the people who actually have the most at stake relative to the rest of the population for sports coming back. You'd hope you'd have a closer emotional relationship to the people that you cover so closely. I guess that's true. Yeah. You know, I, I think the nine 11 relationship to this is to me almost non-existent. I think there are a lot of differences in society from 2001 to now, as well as just the importance uh, of um, manufactured, if not very real, patriotism around Americana of baseball. That that idea was the Subway Series, I believe, was happening. New York City had just been attacked. Um, the idea that there was a, a very easy... Narrative and uh, just a, an overall relationship to wanting sports to be on TV, to have a flag in front of people's faces, um, to, to unite people, to now where people are on an individual basis worried about their health. They're worried about their money, they're worried about their routines, they're worried about their childcare. Uh, they're worried about their grandparents. I think that the amount of shit that's on the average human being's plate right now is completely overwhelming. I couldn't imagine being a professional athlete on top of that all with the added emphasis that, oh, by the way, all those things I just mentioned, you, you have to deal with that alone uh, in a bubble in Florida. So like the layers of of personal responsibility – uh, for people who in a lot of cases are the breadwinners for their family and extended family, um, it's, it's difficult. Then I think, Mike, you're a parent of a young child. Could you imagine being away from your daughter for uh, 75 days uh, straight? <laughs> like, could you, could, you, could, could, could you put yourself in your kid's shoes and, like, not be around uh, her not having her dad for 75 days and thinking about that type of mental pressure no i mean that all makes sense it's just i know i'm just saying like and i agree with you guys in terms of the ecosystem here is very real there every stadium employee of the 30 nba stadiums that aren't going to be used every parking lot attendant every person who works for aramark or whatever the food services uh, are everybody who works at the training facilities in the various cities that now won't be used even though they're in season are used like there's a very real ripple effect every journalist yeah. Every, you know, you name it. Um, and so I, I, I think there are some players who do think about the larger ecosystem and they might even have uh, like stronger you know, EQ or emotional uh, empathy for, for the holistic situation. There's the word. But, mm. but yeah. that's, that's like, it is. you know, but that's, but that's the thing, Mike, like some players are just thinking about themselves and don't and don't think it's the right move. Some are thinking about the larger economy of the NBA and don't think it's the right move. Some are doing the inverse of both of those. You know, LeBron was pretty upfront very early in this, that there's, you know, going to be a season and I want, and I want to play in it. And that's a, that's a very important piece of the puzzle. Like whatever LeBron wants, Um, we'd be remiss not to say that. Um, And so, but this is also a league that has what, 10 vice presidents 
of the players union. Uh, well, there's that one has... that's mutinying against all of them. Sorry, I had to. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so it, it's all it's all fascinating. I I just want to. I, I think we should talk about Maya more because frankly, what she's doing is way more important than all of this, and it deserves attention. But one quick question I wanted to ask both of you guys before. So the WNBA season, I believe, starts what July 24th is opening night. Um. Have they even said it? The NBA season is July 30th. Whitney, on July 24th, assuming that the league comes back, what do you think you're going to be doing during that first game? Are you going to be tweeting as you normally would? Are you going to be – like how do you think that's going to – picture yourself in that moment right now for that first WNBA game, that first NBA night on July 30th. Like what do you think you're – what do you think you're going to be doing? That's a good, a good question because I think uh, I'll do probably two different things on those nights because um, here's going to come my next conflict is that while the while none of these leagues need me, but the NBA doesn't need my tweets and promotion like the WNBA does. So to to sit quietly on that first night when the WNBA comes back, now I'm going to harm those players that, you know, need the promotion and need the uh, attention and, and to, to be excited about that. So like, yeah, I'm going to be torn. And like, I felt the same way. I watched the NWSL kickoff um, on Saturday and I was like, it was really freaking fun to watch it. And players are cool. And, you know, they were kneeling for the anthem and it was all just like really awesome. And the soccer was good. And, and it's women's soccer, so it's like I obviously want to like shout to the rooftops that like this really good product is on TV, and you need to watch it and support it. And you know I'll feel the same way when the WNBA comes back. Um, and, and I think I'll probably, in those cases, go heavier because I want to make sure those leagues continue to get the exposure that they need. Um, you know, and then when the NBA comes back, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm sure I will participate and have fun, but. Um, there, there's a lot of NBA fans out there that will also do the same thing, so I probably won't feel as compelled to jump in um, and, and cover every single little thing that happens. But, you know, um, but yeah, I think it's just a funny question because it it opens up another layer of, like, well, I have to support harder and go harder against what I feel because mm-hmm. these women need to make sure, you know, we need to make sure that these leagues are covered and, and and shown off to the rest of the world. It's very interesting, Ben. What do you? What about you? What are you going to be doing on July twenty fourth and July thirtieth? How do you picture yourself? Sure. So, well, first and foremost, like I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Number one, to see, and again, this is an a, a assumption that this is a safe playing environment, and that the WNBA can come back and and be confident that their players will be healthy. Um, you know, from a COVID situation, but I'm, I'm really interested and I'm happy that WNBA is coming before the NBA. I think that there's been more positive social um, emphasis from WNBA players than even NBA players. And that because their you know, brand names aren't as big as maybe LeBron or, um, you know, Kyrie Irving or whomever, um, they don't necessarily get the, the front page exposure that they, that they deserve. And like, look, Maya Moore's situation is not new. This is going to be her uh, second full season that she's going to take off in the middle of her prime. Um, it's really uh, there wild. are very there are very few uh, analogous athletes to her in the history of sports. Like, are there any? A, well, there's a few that have been taken away in their primes, not under their own volition, like Muhammad Ali yeah. or Bernard Hopkins in boxing. Uh, you know, went to, went to prison actually um, for a crime he, he did commit. Um, and in, you know, Maya Moore's case, she is prioritizing other humans' life, people who have been wronged, um, ahead of her own, uh, a, a life that she has been incredibly successful at leading. Number one, uh, and two, that she had a lot more in her book to write. You know, Maya Moore is uh, probably in my in my lifetime. I put her with maybe my three favorite. Uh, WNBA players, collegiate athletes. I mean, she was a straight-up god at Connecticut and started this. And this is really important to understand. This is not something that she became more interested in 
as a WNBA player. I think a lot of times in America, when the term evangelical is thrown around, it has this horrible connotation to super angry right, mega right, church right. white people. You're talking and, about and her, her faith. She's a very religious person, yeah, and and has manifested that in the right things, like social injustice, like like the criminal justice uh, reforms that she has helped push forward, including in the case here of Jonathan Irons, uh, the man who was just um, you know released yesterday um and my more was there for that yeah just for people that know they're like a very quick like sort of two sentence synopsis of i mean if you want i mean maybe i just for people who don't know so this is she she left the game uh in 2018 she has been spending her time working to get john this this guy jonathan irons was convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. He was sentenced to, I believe, what, 50 years in prison 50. or something? Um, yeah. And through her work, Maya, Maya Moore worked to get hit, the conviction overturned. And at the, probably the most tangible thing that she did is that she helped finance and connect their family to a private investigator of some kind who was able to discover that the police tampered with evidence and did not reveal um a report that had a fingerprint of someone else at the scene of the crime. Irons was 16 at the time. And then yesterday, I believe there was video of him finally getting set free. Uh, and Moore obviously left the game at age 29 at the peak of her powers. Well, this is again, not new. This has been written about, but the, the video, I mean, Whitney, when you saw that video, what'd you think? What was going through your head? I almost felt like it was so like personal that I shouldn't have been seeing it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Interesting. It was, it was like it was because you're, you're talking about like when when he was he was getting out yesterday and Maya was there. Yeah, yeah, the one that was over timelines. Yeah, yeah, I felt like that was that was a lot. Um, that that's a lot going on there, and um, it, I don't think we probably never will because it, just you know the women's sports versus men's sports. I'm not trying to get into that argument right now, but like. I don't think we'll really ever grasp what Maya Moore did, like leaving leaving their sport at her prime um, to go after. Like, I, I think a lot of people might just now know that Maya's doing this and it happened to co- coincide the timing of him getting out right with um, all the issues going on right now that that they might like lump all that together. But I mean, she did this like two years ago. Um, even further, even further, yeah. in which she, her, you know, more met uh, in the New York Times article on it. It said more met um, Irons through the prison ministry uh, in 2007. So she yeah. was at UConn still, a freshman year at UConn. So this is, you know, the, the timing has put it is is going to kind of like wrap it up into what's going now. But like, this is something like for her, just way bigger and way different. And she made a decision a long time ago now to just like step aside and do this. Um, and so I just, I don't think we'll ever fully grasp how good she was and what she has decided to do and what that means. Um, I, I feel like that's like a bit beyond what we'll be able to grasp here. Cause it's pretty massive. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I felt obviously like so emotionally overwhelmed watching it, but I also felt, a degree of guilt that exactly what you described, Whitney, this is should, I should be, if, if, if like what we're doing, if, if what we're about is sort of showcasing that these are athletes are more than people, this should be the most important story ever. And yet it hasn't been. And I felt a little guilty that I hadn't done more to sort of spotlight it. And one of the reasons that I find it challenging is just that there is, this is almost like she she is doing such a good thing that it's impossible to really describe with words, and that's unfortunate because I mean the the only comparison I I I, I don't really think that this is a fair one, but I only think about it because it was the best player in the game leaving at 29 at the peak of their powers was what Michael Jordan did, um, and he went to play baseball and that was covered breathlessly and obviously men's versus women's sports that has a ton to do with it but i also just think that like there's at a certain point like i'm a writer i'm an editor and like there's so little to say about what Maya Moore is doing other than it is just incredible 
like at a certain point you run out of things to describe it and it's really unfortunate but i mean that's sort of what i struggled with yeah well it's it's because people have left their sports early that's not the thing it's it's like the hook here isn't you know barry sanders or megatron or michael jordan leaving their sports at the peak of their powers it's that they're leaving it's that maya moore left her her sport at the peak of her powers to do something that has nothing to do with athletics, it isn't because her body has been destroyed by the sport she plays, it's because she saw something that was more important to her. And I think that's an incredibly you know, powerful thing. I think a lot of us, and I know I'm a victim of this, I, I know how much work, or I have an idea how much work goes in to being a pro athlete, let alone the best at what you do. And you like to think that those people don't have a lot of other time or hobbies uh, to, to you know to put their emotion into and their time into have an understanding of what's important of what matters to her seeing as if she met this uh, uh, Jonathan Irons in, in 2007 through uh, a ministry program at her church that you know this is 13 years later there's a, a lot to be said through seeing through uh, with with the cause about about what matters to you and I think like with the other examples and, and men's and women's sports, unfortunately, are always going to have a, a riff in how they're spoken about, or at least right now they still do. Um, but with Maya Moore's case, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, 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 and this is like valuable to our conversation, but that like we're talking the NBA bubble has been all the all the hype, but WNBA starts a week before it, right? Uh, we know that. I think very few people in the general sports space do. Um, and so that's to say that even though the story itself is happening, that it's a, a real valuable thing that we should be paying attention to, it takes the specific date and time, like yesterday's video and the ability to see the actual manifestation of her 13-year cause come to fruition. And and that's to say that it should get just as much airtime. It should be the most topical thing right now. Look, if social justice reform, criminal justice reform, uh, civil rights, all those things that are super important and super topical right now to legitimately Kyrie Irving and his wing of the Players Association that's interested in, in, in making a stand and, and doing whatever they can, they should be doing more to highlight what Maya Moore is doing. It's tangible. It's real. Uh, they, they should be, you know, the, the emphasis shouldn't shouldn't be on WNBA and NBA. It should be professional basketball players. Um, and like this is the thing, as you read through what Maya Moore has done, um, again, there's nothing analogous to it. We don't have any other NBA player who's ever even come close to this. We have plenty of players right now who are concerned about what may happen to their health or, you know, who, what may happen to their family and, and thinking outside of um, at least their own basketball playing ability, but none that have lent their time and energy explicitly and directly to a cause that has nothing to do with basketball. Um, and, and like you see from my more is, I think, exemplary from both a professional athlete, someone with a higher standing, uh, more of an understanding of their emphasis and what they can do to society and for society. Um, and like, I hope it leads to more people saying like, there's a direct way we can relate to this. Like if the innocence project got 40% of the revenue that comes out of this, that'd be killer. 10%, 1%, whatever it may be. There are more than enough causes that NBA players can directly contribute to. And I think a lot of them are interested right now in understanding how they can help. So this could be an incredible time to, to capitalize on, on what it seems like is a very open uh, body of athletes right now to, to want to promote change. And Maya Moore is the example, the shiny beacon, beacon on the hill to look at of how you do that. Um, and if, it take, if that means putting your sport second, then that's what it takes. Yeah, the great I guess from a like a coverage standpoint, the great irony of why this doesn't get coverage is in large part it's because Maya Moore is not seeking out the coverage. Um, sure. For it, you know, she wants it to be something that is not heavily publicized. And to to Whitney's point too, like it is a very personal. It's an interesting paradox as far as you know, kind of promoting it is like at a certain point, like that's not why she's doing it, and yet it is something that deserves promotion. So it's just a from a storytelling perspective, it's just kind of an interesting paradox we run into. That's a real mitzvah, though, is when you, when you don't anonymously, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. And at the end of the day, I think she's getting so much more fulfillment out of this than the press that she could be getting for it. I, I just think, um, oh, that's a paradox of doing a good deed. But um, 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, any um, I don't know. What do you have any final thoughts on Maya Moore or everything we talked about so far? <sighs> no, everything's crazy. <laughs> everything <laughs> is very, very crazy, and uh, it, it's going to be real interesting to see. Uh, you know how Ben. I think Ben said it earlier, you know, it's just everything has changed so much. And, and I'm sure by the time July 24th rolls around, it will be a some other version of different that we aren't imagining right now. And so um, it's just going to be crazy to see how this continues to, to unfold. And hopefully everybody stays safe. Yeah. I'm with you. That's number one. Um, I also know, I mean, I know myself, like when the games start, I'm going to be really, I'm going to, enthusiastically throw myself back into them and it's as much as i like to think i won't i think it's going to be really hard to avoid um and i just hope that i have some of the strength to maintain that perspective that you know you guys have but i hope everyone does mike i hope everyone does i hope i hope i hope that out of this people don't lose the peace of mind that has led to the relaunch of sports which is to say that a lot of folks started to evaluate, myself included, I feel like, I don't want to speak for both of you, but it feels like it, have started to look at things in a much more, uh, um, you know, systemic way, like how every little part is affected um, and what that means for the conversations going on outside of sports, as well as looking at athletes as much more well-rounded individuals now instead of just, you know, the Laura Ingram shut up and dribble bullshit, you know, like we couldn't be further from that awful take of the right, if you will, or whatever than we are now, which is to say that we care. I care more than ever what these players have to say about the current society they live in, because we're asking a shit ton of them to come back and play in it. So we should afford them at least the respect at a minimum to hear what their thoughts are, um, you know, on the world that they're coming to take attention away from or amplify. Um, and so, like, that is a long way of saying that I'm going to pay it the right amount of attention. Um, I, I want and hope that the NBA can find its footing. That includes being, you know, socially aware, conscious, and vocal while still playing basketball. Well, that's that's well said. Um, Thank that's you. Ben Epstein. <laughs> that's Whitney Medworth. Um, and this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Oh, oh, oh.